All right, I'll say it again. Good morning. morning. Welcome. All right, that was really good. Much better than those charlatans at nine. Just kidding. You were much worse. Just kidding. You were much better. Um, Welcome to Park Church. We were really glad that you're here. I want to echo what Todd said up there. Uh, Happy Easter. Um, For us who are Jesus followers here in the room, this is like the biggest event, the biggest day of the year, Easter. And I'll tell you why in a second. But I want to say again, echoing what Todd said, um, if you are not a Jesus follower and you are here with us this morning, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Maybe you were brought here by a family. Um, Maybe you don't really come to church very often, but you do on Easter. Maybe you're looking for the batting cages and dance classes. Those are next door, but they're not open today, so you have to be here. Maybe you're someone who comes week after week, and you're still struggling, you're still wrestling with what is this faith, what is church all about, um, and you're not someone who believes quite yet. That's okay. We're glad that you're here. I mean, we hope that you come to believe and to follow Jesus. That's what we always want for all of you. But like Todd said, this, is, this place is for you because we believe that God is for you, and we believe what we celebrate on Easter, the resurrection, it's definitely for you. But for those of us who are Jesus followers, uh, Easter ought to be the biggest day of the year. We know Christmas gets the most play. It lasts like two or three months now. Um, They have the songs, the decorations, the trees, the whole deal. Easter Easter has lilies, which like we all love lilies, but um, Easter doesn't have it. But for us, Easter ought to be the biggest event of the year. And here's why. There are really two reasons. One is because, uh, because of what Easter remembers, because of what Easter celebrates. On Friday, what's called Good Friday, we remember and we celebrate when Jesus uh, was arrested and crucified, and he died on the cross, and he was buried in the tomb with the cave and the stone. On Saturday, uh, Jesus sleeps in the tomb. He's dead in the tomb. Um, That's where he is on Saturday. But on Sunday, on Sunday, God raises him up from the dead, gives him new life, and he rolls away the stone, and he walks out of the tomb on that first Easter morning. And that's what we celebrate and remember on Easter, that Jesus has conquered death in a way that we will all die someday, but it will be relativized by his life for us, his abiding life for us. And that's why Easter matters so much. The other reason why Easter is like the biggest event, why the resurrection is the biggest event of the year is because before the resurrection, there were no us. There was no Jesus followers. Um, The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the books that were written by people who knew or followed Jesus. Uh, When they were written, it was clear that on that Friday, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, there were no Jesus followers. The men and women who thought they were Jesus followers, they had run away. They had abandoned Jesus. They had left him because they didn't want to get in trouble. They didn't want to get caught, whatever it was. They had left him. No one believed in him any longer because if they did, they would have been waiting for him to be raised from the dead. And no one was waiting for him to be raised from the dead. Even the women, the faithful women, men are like the worst. They just leave. The women, though, they stuck with Jesus. They didn't believe him, though. Because they came with spices to give him a proper burial on that first Easter morning. And Jesus told them again and again, look, guys, gals, uh, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried, but don't give me a proper burial because I'm going to raise from the dead. They didn't believe him. So they brought spices. They brought the whole thing. And so until that first Easter morning, there was no Jesus followers. But when Jesus walks out of that tomb and he meets those women, 
and he says, hey, look, I'm alive. And he tells those women, go and tell the other people. Uh, that started, that launched the people movement 2,000 years ago, of which we are still a part today. So without the resurrection, without that event, we wouldn't be here. It's why it's the most important thing. It's why for Christians, for Jesus' followers, the resurrection is the event that defines our lives. It's the thing that matters most. We don't have a Christmas, or we don't have an Easter without a Christmas. We don't have um, a cross without a resurrection. But without the resurrection, we have nothing. It's the thing that defines us. Thinking about this got me to thinking. If it's true that for Jesus' followers, uh, if it's true that the resurrection is the defining event in our lives, then why don't we see that more often? Why aren't our lives together or as individuals marked by life from the dead? Why aren't our lives marked by new hope, by new future, by new life? Why is that? As I was thinking about it, I, I thought to myself, it's because uh, it's not the resurrection that defines our lives. For a, for a lot of the people I know, it's not that event. It's some other event. It's that thing that happened in the past, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's that thing that happened. That's the thing that defines them. It's not, it's not, it's not the resurrection. That's not, that's not what does it. When I look at my own life, for instance, I can think, what are the events that have defined me? Um, the first one that always comes to mind for me is my relationship with my wife, right? We've been married for, I should know this, uh, <laughs> some about a year. It's been 13 or something, I don't know. 13, that's right. Um, we started dating them when we were young, like in high school. And, and when I was in high school, I made a decision. Do I go on a ski trip with my wife or with my, the girl I kind of liked? Or do I want to go to this concert, which I really wanted to go to the concert instead? Um, I decided to go on the ski trip, even though it wasn't what I wanted to do at the time. But that, for me, was a defining event in my life. Maybe we wouldn't be together if it wasn't for that. We dated for a long time. We broke up once for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and, and in those 10 minutes, we decided to get back together. Uh, that was a defining moment for our relationship and for my life, because I wouldn't be where I am uh, if we decided not to get back together. And we decided to get married, and we got married, and it's been a defining moment, a defining event for my life. It's been great. Uh, the birth of all three of our children, these are defining moments in our lives where everything changes when that baby comes out, right? I mean, we can think back and look at those events in our lives that have defined us, and a lot of them are good, a lot of them are really good, but I know a lot of them are not so good. A lot of them are hard. Because for some of us, right, we meet the girl, uh, we have the feelings, we, we date, we stay together, we get married. Uh, wrong girl, wrong me, wrong time. And that becomes a defining event uh, that defines our life in a negative way. Those things in our past that have come to define who we are, um, we live with those. And whether it happened five years ago or 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, sometimes those things are so determinative, so meaningful in our lives that it feels like they're happening to us today. So the question I want to ask you is this, what is the event in your life? What is the defining thing that has led you to this point? If that's a little dark, a little penetrating perhaps 
for Easter morning. It's understandable. Life can be dark like that sometimes. Um, is, it, is it for you that thing that happened to you when you were seven or eight or nine or ten years old? That should have never happened to you. Is it for you the moment uh, you heard that your parents weren't going to stick together, that they were going to get divorced? Was that the moment for you? Was it the accident that you got in or that someone you love got in that changed the course of things forever? Was it the illness that you came down with, that your loved one came down with? Was it the loss that you suffered? Was it the loss of a relationship that you suffered? The loss of a hope or a dream of a bright future? Was that the thing that came to define your life? This could be dark. But for those of you who know what that's like to feel that, um, you know that's what life is like. And it's not an exaggeration to say that uh, the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday morning before Jesus walked out of that tomb, it was the darkest it's ever been. And the resurrection of Jesus breaks light into your darkness. It floods us. It floods you with hope. And that, that's what I want you to hear about this morning. I want you to hear about that hope. So I want to come out and just say where we're going, say where, what I'm thinking and what I think God thinks. And here it is when it comes to these uh, defining events in our lives. Here it is. You lose. God loses. Your spouse loses. Your friends, your family, the world around you loses. So long as some other event comes to define your life besides the resurrection of Jesus. If anything else defines you, if anything else matters most, if anything else comes to be the thing that makes you who you are besides the resurrection of Jesus, you lose. The world loses. Your friends, your family lose. Because when he walked out of that tomb on Easter morning, everything, everything changes. This is uh, nowhere more clearly shown for us in the New Testament, in the Bible, uh, than in the story of a man named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. He had 12 of these guys. They were called the apostles, the disciples, and Peter was like the head one. Um, before Peter was one of Jesus' followers, though, he was just an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary fisherman, uneducated. He just he was who he is. He wasn't particularly bad. It wasn't particularly good. Um, the one thing we know about him is he wasn't really very good at his job. He wasn't really very good at fishing. Um, the thing, when we first meet Peter, the thing we see about him um, is he's not good at fishing. So uh, he fishes all night, him and his buds. They fish all night long. They have no success. And so uh, they used to fish at night back then. The next morning, they bring the boats ashore because they've had no success, and they're mending the nets on the side of the shore. And Jesus, Jesus comes along. And Jesus has a throng of people who are looking to hear him speak. Uh, and it's like getting to the point where Jesus is getting pushed back like, into the lake because so many people are crowding around him. And he's like, Peter, can I get into your boat and push off onto the shore, and I'll teach, I'll teach the crowd from inside of the lake, right? And so Peter's like, sure. So they do that, and Jesus gets in the boat, they push off, he sits, he teaches them. Eventually the teaching is over, the crowd goes away, and it's just Peter and Jesus in the boat. And Peter, uh, Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey Peter, let's go fishing. Peter's thinking, okay, you're a great teacher, I could see that. People love you, I could see that. I don't think you know about fishing, though. 
because number one, we don't fish during the day and like the sun is up and whatnot. But number two, I tried that all night long and I didn't have any success. Jesus is like, just trust me, try fishing. So they throw the nets down and uh, as the story goes, there are so many fish that get caught that the nets begin to break. They couldn't pull it up themselves. They need another boat to come uh, and help them bring the nets in. They bring the nets in and that's the moment where, G where, Peter, where Peter starts to follow Jesus. Peter gives his life. He leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. And for years, this is what his life is all about. And Jesus made him like the head guy. He was the one, uh, Jesus said to Peter, you know, on you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. You're going to be the rock that I build this on. Which is ironic, because if you know the story of Peter, you know he's not the most stable, solid guy to build anything on. Peter is the guy who is constantly messing up. Peter is putting his foot in his mouth again and again and again. Peter makes promises that there's no way on earth he could keep. Peter says things. Um, he's always getting in the way of Jesus to the point where one time Jesus had to say to him, like, get behind me, Satan, which is not something you want Jesus to say to you, <laughs> right? Uh, but he does, and his following Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can read this, it is, it is characterized by Peter's continued failures, by the foot in the mouth. Um, when it comes to following Jesus, his eyes were always bigger than his stomach. He always bit off more than he can chew. The thing that's neat, though, is that Jesus never gave up on him. For those of us who stumble and trip and fall our way along the path of following Jesus, let that give you hope that Jesus never gave up on Peter. It means he'll never give up on you either. The most notorious of Peter's failures, though, happened um, the night before Jesus was crucified, the Thursday night. Jesus had gathered his disciples around and was having a meal with them. And then after the meal, he said to them, look, guys, again, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. I'm, I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise from the dead. But all that's going to happen. And here's the thing, guys. You are... Uh, you're going to leave me. You're going to run from me. You're going to run away. And Peter, of course it's Peter. Peter's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen, Jesus. Jesus is like, yeah, it is going to happen. Um, and look at, look at how far Peter goes to promise that that's never going to happen. Peter says, Lord, I am ready. I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to go to death for you. Jesus, I imagine, looks at Peter in the same way that we look at our kids when they're like, I'll be good, Daddy. I promise. It's like, right, of course you'll be good. Jesus says to him, uh, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you, have, until you have denied three times that you know me. Peter's like, no, 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 it's not going to happen. Jesus is like, we'll see. We'll see. And so we know what happens, right? Jesus gets arrested. Um, he gets arrested and he gets brought to the house of the high priest. It was the religious people back in the day. How ironic. It was the religious people back in the day who wanted Jesus arrested and to be gotten rid of. Um, and, so and so Jesus is arrested at the house of the high priest and Peter is following along at a distance. He's following from far away. It's dark out. It's a cold night. You know, Peter probably has his baseball hat kind of pulled down and his hood on so that no one can see who it is. He thinks it's dark enough out. No one's going to ever see that it's him. So Peter is following along in a distance, and he's in the courtyard of the high priest's house. And he can kind of hear what's going on in there, um, but it's cold. And the soldiers had made a little fire to keep warm. 
And the Gospel of John gives us a little detail that it was a charcoal fire. And so they're gathered around this charcoal fire, warming themselves. Peter's keeping his hands warm. He's kind of pulled down, trying to stay incognito. The only thing that could give him away is that the firelight could possibly illuminate his face. And it's exactly what happens. Uh, it says, then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, she stared at him and said, this guy, this guy was there. This man was also with him, with Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. I do not know him. He's lying right to the face of this little servant girl. I didn't know him. Um, it, happens, it happens again. A little later, someone else on seeing him said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And I like to imagine he says, bro, if it was these days. <laughs> bro, I am not. Then Peter, then about an hour later still, another kept insisting, surely this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Galilee was where they were from. But Peter said, bro, I do not know what you're talking about. He denies him not once, not twice, but a third time. And as soon as he does in the dark of the night, before he could barely get a word out, before he could finish speaking, Luke tells us, the rooster crowed. And he remembered. He remembered what Jesus said just a few hours later. And then look at this detail that Luke gives us. This is chilling. There must have been a sight line between the house and where Peter was in the courtyard. And Luke tells us, then Jesus turned and looked at Peter. That's a tough glance to have. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And then what happens next is that Peter runs out. He went out and he weeps bitterly. Mark, the gospel of Mark tells us that he broke down. And in that moment, the event of Peter's failure, all that Peter is crumbles beneath him. All that Peter has done, the way he's followed Jesus, all of that gets washed away. He did the one thing he promised he would never do, and he did it just a few hours later, and he didn't do it once. He didn't do it twice. He did it thrice. He did it three times. He had three opportunities to do the right thing. He had three opportunities to admit that, yes, he knows Jesus. He had three opportunities to do the right thing. And you get the impression that if Jesus said before the rooster crows 85 times, he would have done it 85 times. And in that moment, all that Peter was came crashing down. And what happens is he turns his back on Jesus and he runs the other way. You see that? He turns his back on Jesus and he runs into the darkness. No longer a follower of Jesus, but now as someone who's running from Jesus because of the weight of his failure, the weight of that event, the broken promise, the guilt, the sin, the shame, the disgust with himself, the weight crushed him. He broke down. He had to leave. The years of following Jesus didn't matter any longer in contrast to the weight of this one event. These three denials, three stabs in the back, three missed opportunities, and one rooster. This would be the thing that came to define Peter from then forward. When you think about the thing that has come to define your life, 
When you think about the grief, the shame, the sadness, the pain you feel, can you imagine what, can you picture yourself there with Peter, broken down, weeping bitterly? That's Thursday night for Peter, not a great night. I imagine Friday is worse. Friday, we don't hear from Peter. I just imagine him sitting in a room by himself with his head in his hands and a pool of tears underneath him. Saturday, as Jesus lays dead in the tomb, I imagine Peter laying in his bed, unable to get up because of the grief that he feels, because of the the failure that he's become. Why even get up that day? But on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, as Peter is laying there in bed, he's woken up by the sound of voices in the other room, and they're saying, what happened? Jesus' body is no longer there. It's not in the tomb any longer. Peter gets up. He runs to the tomb. He goes into the tomb. He sees for himself. There is no body there. Uh, All he finds is the cloths that were wrapped up. And Peter's there, and he's thinking, what happened? And what he thinks is that the body was stolen, that a grave robber came and took the body for some reason. Why? Who knows? But that happened, and that's what Peter thought. He didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead because he believed that Jesus had failed. We had hoped he would be the one to save us, but he wasn't because he's dead. He's not going to raise from the dead. He expected Jesus to do what dead people always do, which is to stay dead. And so he leaves the tomb that morning, an unbeliever walking away from Jesus once again. And what does he do? What does he do next? He allows the event of his failure to continue to be the thing that defines him, to be the thing that matters most. And what does that look like? What does that mean? It means he goes back to fishing. He goes back to the thing he did before he was a Jesus follower. Because he failed, he can't possibly follow Jesus any longer. The Apostle John, one of the other guys who followed Jesus closely, he wrote a book too, it's called The Gospel of John. And he captures a conversation, he captures a moment where Peter is fishing. Um, And we're going to look at that maybe a week or so after the resurrection. Peter has gone back to fishing. He's gathered some of the guys who used to follow Jesus with him, and and they're in the boat. They also are having no success. It's nighttime, they're not catching anything. Morning comes and they decide to give up. And John records for us that Jesus comes to the shore of the lake, and they can't see it's Jesus. It's dark or whatever, uh, and they can't see it's Jesus. And Jesus calls out to them, which I think is kind of like mocking Peter. Jesus calls out to them like, hey, how's it going, guys? Did you catch anything yet? Which, you know how shameful that is when you're you're a fisherman and you can't catch anything. Um, And they say, you know, no, not yet, not yet. And Jesus says, here, how about this? Throw the nets on the other side. Which they're like, we're professional fishermen. We know about throwing nets down. Throw the nets on the other side. And they do. And the haul of fish, again, is huge. Uh, And John, John records for us, John is like, I've seen this before. I remember this. He realizes all in a moment, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Peter can't see it. He tells Peter, it's Jesus. Peter jumps into the lake. He swims all the way to the shore. And he meets Jesus at the shoreline. And what Jesus has done, and this is just, just, just so Jesus of Jesus. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, built, he's built a little fire to cook the fish and the bread. But it's not just any fire, it's a charcoal fire. 
It's the same kind of fire that Peter warmed himself on that night. And you know how smells do that to you? They bring you back to a place. When Peter comes to the shore, he meets Jesus with the fish and the fire. All of a sudden, he is back. He is back a week and a half earlier when all of his guilt, his shame, his sadness, when all that darkness came crashing down on him. And yet he's looking face to face. He's looking in the eyes of the one who he sweared he would never deny, but he denied not hours later. Could you imagine what Peter felt like in that moment? If you've ever had a panic attack or an anxiety attack or had a moment where all of the emotions you're feeling, all of it comes rushing down onto one place, that I imagine is something like what Peter felt because there's no way to even imagine what Peter would be feeling. How did he look in Jesus' eyes? How did he do that? Was it fear? Was it terror? Was it hope? Was it just shame? What was it? John records for us... um, John records for us their conversation. After they had breakfast, John writes, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, the these is a little confusing. Does he mean, do you love me more than these guys love me? Does he mean, do you love me more than you love these guys? Or does he mean, do you love me more than these fish? Because they had just hauled in the fish. They had counted the fish along the beach. Um, I think what he means is, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Because when you left me, when you left following me, you went back to fishing. So do you love me more or do you love fishing more? What is it? And Peter says to him, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then do something about it. Feed my lambs. Remember, Peter was supposed to be the leader of of Jesus' people. He's saying, feed my flock, tend my flock, do the thing that I've called you to do. A second time, he said to him, Peter, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then do something about it. Tend my sheep. A third time, He said to him, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to them a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Do something about it. And then after a bit, he said to him, follow me. Can you see what Jesus is doing here? The smell of the charcoal fire, the guilt, the shame, it's all back. That event that had come to define who Peter was, it all comes crashing down on him. And with every do you love me question, Jesus is undoing Peter's three denials. He's canceling out the power that that event had over his life when the rooster sent him back to fishing. He's canceling out the power that that guilt, that that shame, that that grief had over him. And what Jesus is asking Peter... What he's asking Peter is, what's it going to be, Peter? What's it going to be? Is it going to be fishing or is it going to be following? What's it going to be? You can go back to being a mediocre fisherman. Or you could follow me and you could become the leader, the tender of my sheep who I have created you to be. What's it going to be, Peter? Peter, you can allow that event, your failure, you can allow that to continue to matter most in your life. 
to continue to be the thing that defines you. Or you can allow my success on your behalf, my victory over the grave, my victory over all of those things. You can allow that to define you and you can follow me. What's it going to be, Peter? Can you hear what Jesus is saying to Peter here? Because he's saying it to you too. Your failure, your guilt, your shame, your darkness, your sadness, your mistakes, your regrets, all of that. You can let that be the thing that matters most. You can let that be the thing that continues to define you. But you don't need to any longer because I am alive. Because I am here with you. I am looking at you face to face. Peter, I'm alive and I'm here for you. So look at me. Lift up your head, unslump your head, and look back into my eyes and see that I am here for you because you are worth it. Yes, you might not deserve it. Yes, you are to blame. Yes, you shouldn't have done those things. Yes, it stinks what happened. Yes, you failed. Yes, you shouldn't get a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance or a thousandth chance. But look at me and listen. I am alive and I'm here for you because I love you like crazy. And I forgive you and I'm having mercy on you, and I'm gracious for you, because I want you to be freed from that event that looks to keep you captive. I want you to be freed from that so that you can live the life that I have called for you to live, which is to tend my sheep. So let that happen. Let my life, my resurrection, be the thing that matters most. So what's it going to be? Fish or follow? He says that to each and every one of you. And look, Jesus never forces you to follow him. You can go back to fishing. You can. You can go back to the pain, to the grief, to the anger, to the resentment, to the, sh to the shame, to that thing. You can go back to that. But how's it been going? It doesn't go well. It didn't go well for Peter. He caught nothing that night. It's tiring not to catch something day after day after day. Or... You can listen to Jesus' call, and you can decide to follow. And that's hard, too. But it's hard in a whole different way. I skipped over the passage that's in between these things where Jesus tells Peter, Peter, look, if you follow me, it's going to get even harder. But it's the right kind of hard, because, because it's the hard that is living the life that Jesus wants you to live. It's the hard that is following Jesus, where Jesus is with you. It's living the life where Jesus is giving you the power to live the kind of way that you want that you're called to. And look, if your objection is, I don't have the power to follow Jesus, that's okay. You don't have the power to follow Jesus. You don't need your own power to follow Jesus. If you're objecting to the fact um, that all you have is the power to return to fishing and not even be good at that, that's okay. It's not your power you need. It's Christ's resurrection power in your life that you need. And when you decide to follow Jesus, that's exactly what he promises to give you. Follow me, he says. And these things, these things will be given to you. Look, Peter, uh, Peter couldn't do it alone. He needed John there. John had to tell him, we all need Johns in our life to tell us to go follow him. But once Peter showed up, it was, or once Jesus showed up, it was possible. All things are possible. And so the invitation to you this morning, the call, 
is simply this. Decide to follow Jesus. If you're someone who has never followed Jesus, decide to follow Jesus. Decide to give it a chance that, yes, maybe this is true. If you're someone like Peter who used to follow Jesus, but who has walked away for whatever reason, whatever that thing is that's stopping you from following Jesus, decide that this morning, this is the day I'm going to walk back. I'm going to follow Jesus. If you're someone who, who, who is following Jesus, but you still feel like your life is stuck in that event 15 years ago, that you're still feeling like it is today, take another step in following Jesus. Decide to follow him again. Um, believe, this is what this means, believe that the event of Jesus' resurrection actually matters more for you than the event of your failure. Believe that. Believe that when Jesus died on the cross, all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of the things that shouldn't have happened, all of that was put to death, and he gives you new life, and he's here for you to give you new life. Believe that. Believe that even though most people stay dead, Jesus didn't stay dead, and he's come back for you, not to punish you, not to make you feel more shameful, but because he loves you because you are worth it. Believe that and follow him. Believe that and say to Jesus this morning and every morning, I don't have the power, but you have the power, so I want to follow you. Show me how to do that. And here's the thing. You can't do this alone. Peter needed John. Peter didn't do this alone. We need to do this together. And so whether you're from here or you're from somewhere else, um, join a local community of people who are trying to follow Jesus together because that's how you're going to be brought along to follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus on your own. You have to follow him with a church. Um, we would love for you to come back and be part of this community. We have lots of things going on in the spring where you can learn to follow Jesus with other people who have followed for a long time and can help you. And we invite you back into that. But if you're not from here, find a church that you can do that. Join in on that. Because what, what the world needs, listen, what the world needs, uh, what your family needs, what your friends need, is not another mediocre fisherman. The world doesn't need that. You don't need that. What the world needs is Jesus followers. What the world needs is people who are willing, like Peter, to make the decision to follow Jesus and to give their lives to following him. That's what the world needs. That's what you need. That's what would be best for you. Choose to follow and risk seeing your life transformed. Risk seeing the lives of those around you transformed. The world changed and the power of the resurrection going out to more and more people. And that's what happens when people like us, when people like Peter actually believe in Jesus. Because not five weeks after this, not five weeks after this, we read a story where Peter is back in the middle of the very city where Jesus was arrested and beaten, and crucified, and dead, and buried. And he's right in the middle of that city, surrounded by the same people who beat, and arrested, and crucified, and killed, and buried Jesus. And they want to do the very same thing to Peter. Rather than running from prison and running from death, Peter has now run into the city. Why? Because he has a message for those people. And the message is, yes, you are guilty. Yes, you killed him. Yes, it's on you. Yes, you are to blame, but God. But God raised him up, and he freed Jesus from death because it was impossible for him to be kept in that power. And yes, you are guilty, but Jesus has come to forgive you.
to save you. And that day, 3,000 of the people who killed Jesus, 3,000 of those people came to be, become followers of Jesus that very day. When we give our lives to following Jesus, that's the sort of thing that can happen, even in the heart of someone who just a few weeks earlier was looking to kill him. That's what you're invited to. The question I want to leave you with is simple. Fish or follow? Make the decision to follow today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for another Easter to celebrate your resurrection from the dead. Thank you for another another Easter to remember that you conquered death and that because of that we are freed from it and freed from its consequences and that we can know you and believe in you because of that. We thank you so much, God. We thank you, Jesus, that in us, that in us you work your power to raise us from the dead. We ask you, God, that you would work that power in us. For those of us who are, who are stuck in the event that defines our life, that we don't want to define our life, we pray that you would help to break, break the chains, break the, break, the, break the binds that that has on us and free us. Free us from that roll away the stone from our tomb so that we can walk freely. Lord, uh, come to us and give us the power that we need to decide to follow you and then to actually follow you. Give us the power to do that because we don't have that power on our own. Lord, for those of us who are wrestling with the truth of this, is it true or not? Lord, convince us of your truth. Look us in the eyes face to face and show us you're real. We ask that you would do that, Jesus, because that's the only way we can really believe in you. Because dead people don't rise. But we believe in you, Jesus, and so we pray that you would do that. We ask you, God, also that uh, through us as individuals, through us as a community, as a church, you would bring this life-changing, life-transforming power uh, into this place, into the world around us, into Monmouth County and beyond. We ask you, God, that you would do this, not for our sake, but for the sake of you and your kingdom and for the people out there who you love, you want to see their lives transformed too. We ask all of this in the name of our resurrected and risen Lord, who is our Savior, our Redeemer. In his name we pray. Amen.